doing again. I know you've heard that a lot this morning, but we're excited that you're here. We're glad that you're here. And today, welcome to part three of a series that we have called Filters. And the idea behind this series is based on uh, when you think about Facebook and Snapchat, Instagram, all of this social media, we have filters that we can use to make things look differently than what they actually are. When you use a filter, it can make things look completely different than what reality is. And so we based a series around that, and we've been talking about it over the last few weeks. And I'm excited about part three today. I do want to make a quick quick note before we get into the message today. Uh, Next Steps, due to some scheduling conflicts, we have moved Next Steps to October And so we want to let you know about that, and we'll keep you in the loop as far as that goes. I believe it's going to start on October the 8th, be the 8th, 15th, and 22nd. And so if you're interested in being a part of our church, serving in our church, want to know more information about the vision, uh, just get all the information that you could possibly want to know about Impact Church, uh, we invite you to join us for those three sessions. They're usually about an hour, hour and 15 minutes long. We won't take up a whole lot of your time. And we want to just give you uh, just a vision behind why we do what we do and how you can get involved in what we're doing. All right? So keep that in mind. And I want to take a moment really quick and catch us up. For those of you that might have been here, maybe you forgot, or if you haven't been here at all and this is your first week here and you're wondering, where have we been in this series? In part one, maybe you remember this, it was a few weeks ago, but we talked about the subject that we titled, The Comma. Does everybody remember the message? Does anybody remember the message about the comma? If you don't, some of you are raising your hand. If you don't, I'm about to tell you again. I'm just going to give you the quick, uh, condensed version of what we talked about on that day. But the, the main example that we used on that day was if you think about fishing and you throw, you cast into the water, what have you done before you cast into the water? Usually, unless you're some professional fisherman that has all the, you know, all this extra stuff, most of us dig up a worm out of the ground or go buy them from the store and we put the worm on the hook before we throw it into the water. Because fish are stupid, but they're not stupid enough to swim toward a hook that's in the water. So if a fish is swimming and they see a hook, they're not going to come bite your hook. Just, oh, look, here's a hook. Let's go bite that hook. But what do we do? We put a worm on it because a fish is crazy enough to swim and bite a worm. So we cover up we cover up what is really going on with something that looks more attractive than what we think we're getting. And the enemy will cover the hook up with something that is more attractive to you than what he actually wants to do to you. And we learn how to stop falling for that and how to expose those filters that the enemy uses in our lives. And we talked about this one scripture that says, if you love me, You'll obey my commands. If, and a lot of times we, we read that and we say it as if Jesus is looking at us saying, well, if you love me, then you would obey my commands. Like he's mad because we don't love him enough to obey what he said. But I don't think that's the tone that Jesus wants to get in the idea. I think it's more like, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If you love me. We can we can work on that. We can fix that. We can make that better. You'll you'll do what I what I ask you to do if you love me. And so we we took this comma, and most of the time we stand on this side of the comma and we're focused on obeying the commands and being better 
and doing better, and I keep screwing up, and I'm angry because God's not doing what I want him to do, when we need to get on this side of the comma and say, you know what, I'm just in love with Jesus. I'm just going to fall in love with Jesus, and when I fall in love with Jesus, this side of the comma has a way, it's funny how that works, this side of a comma has the way of working itself out in your life. That God will take what he needs to take and he'll do what he needs to do when we're on this side of the comma focused on loving Jesus. And so we said we need to learn how, we just need to fall in love with Jesus. Not, not when he does what we want him to do. Not, not just because somebody told us, well, you need to love Jesus, you need to get saved, you need to get your life right. That's not, that's not falling in love with Jesus. We need to fall in love with Jesus to the point and say, I don't, I, no matter what happens in my life, no matter what comes my way, no matter what circumstance is going on, no matter what situation, I'm going to stay on this side of the comma. And as long as I'm in love with Jesus, all the rest will take, Jesus will take care of all the rest going on if I stay on this side of the comma. And then last week, my wife brought a message called Filter Your Focus. And she talked to us about what you see, what you say, and the sound that you listen to. Anybody struggle with all of the noise going on in your mind when you're trying to do the right thing or you're trying to, to, to look at the good in some situation and all this chatter is going on in your mind? And we have a tendency to listen to the wrong thing a lot of times. And we listen to all the chatter. We listen to all the, you're just always going to be this way. It's always going to happen like this. This is just the way that it's going to be. Your marriage is never going to get better. You're never going to read the Bible more. You're never going to really know how to pray. It's always going to seem weird. You're never, you know, all of this chatter going on in our minds. And she talked to us about we need to learn to see things from God's perspective, to say things, speak life, and then filter the sound that we're listening to. And say, you know what, that's, that sound, that noise that's going on in my mind, that is not from God. Because all good things come from God. God's not going to condemn you. God's not going to make you feel just terrible about your life and, and, and that you need to get it all together. That's the enemy making you feel like you will never measure up. And we've got to filter that stuff. And when we do, then it allows God to make us strong, steady, and stable. And we can go on and we can live life from that position because we filtered our focus and we're focused on what God wants us to focus on, not our situation and what the enemy is saying about our situation. Amen? So those are our two parts, and today we're, we're on part three of the series, and I want to talk to you on this subject. I've titled today, The Response. Look at your neighbor and say, how do you respond? How do you respond? We're going to talk about the response today. In part three of this series, in this past week, I was thinking about our kids, and we've been having some conversations. We have uh, four kids, and they range from eight years old to six months old right now. And so we've been, with some of our older kids, we've been having these conversations about how they respond. Now, I don't know if you're a parent in the room, or if you want to be a parent in the room, but you might need to listen. <laughs> because we're, we're teaching them that the response matters. The way that you respond matters. And we're having these conversations and trying to teach them that it's not always just about what you say. Sometimes it's about how you say it. Sometimes it's about how you do it. That your response matters. And, and we've been teaching them how to, we've been working with them lately on how to respond to us in particular. Now, if you're a parent, you might get this. Maybe you're farther along in the parenting thing than we are and you've been down this road, maybe you are still going down this road. Maybe this road never ends. I don't know. This road might never, 
that there may not be an end <laughs> to this road. I don't know. I guess we'll find out. But we're talking to him about that. Now, have you ever known someone who didn't respond to your questions or your comments very well? And maybe we could say it like this. They didn't respond. They reacted. <laughs> there wasn't a response. There was a reaction. <laughs> it, was a, it was a blow up. <laughs> or you were thinking after you talked to him, it's like, we, I'm never talking to them about that ever again as long as I live. Because that was not a response. That's not what I was looking for. They gave me a reaction. And we're talking to our kids about the way that they respond to their parents and the way that they respond to each other, the tone that they use when they respond. And here's a big one right now. Acknowledging that they've actually heard you. That's a response. <laughs> we're learning that that is a response to actually acknowledge that you heard. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Okay, like, let me know that you heard what I just said is a response. And so we're working on them with that. And how many of you know that the way that my kids respond to myself or their mother determines whether or not they're going to get spanked? Now, I know that, that in our society today, you know, there, there are some people that don't believe in spanking, and you get... <laughs> You get turned in for spanking your kids and all this stuff. Now, we don't beat our kids, but I believe there's some, when, when you grab the paddle off the refrigerator, <laughs> there's something different that happens, and they remember a little bit better <laughs> what you just said. <laughs> Can I get an amen? <laughs> they remember what you just told them when you get the paddle off of that, and so it determines that if you're a boss and you have employees working under you, how many of you know? That the way they respond to you and what you tell them and the comments and suggestions and questions that you ask, how they respond determines how this work relationship is going to go and if it's even going to be one tomorrow. Because their response matters. When they, the way that they respond, if you're in charge of somebody, you expect them to respect you, to listen to your opinion because you're the boss. And, and, and to respond accordingly. Now, we're, we're talking to our kids like, it's okay if you have a question. You can say, yes, sir, or yes, ma'am, but can I ask a question? At, you know, why are we doing it this way? Or why do I need to do that? Or whatever. But your initial response, the way that you respond, matters. It matters. The way that that person responded to you when you tried to speak into their life and tell them something that you might have seen that was going on, determines whether or not you will approach them again next time. How many of you have ever approached somebody and you thought that, I just really feel like I'm supposed to talk to them. I see this, and I know that it's harder to see. Some things are harder to see in the mirror. And somebody can speak into your life, and I see this, and I think I need to you know, talk to them about it. And how they respond a lot of times determines whether or not you do it the next time. <laughs> the next time you feel like you're supposed to, eh, I don't know. <laughs> That didn't go so well last time. They reacted and didn't respond so well. But your, their response matters. The response matters. And isn't it interesting how much we base our opinions of people on how they respond in certain situations? Can I tell you that how you respond to other drivers when you're driving down the road with your Impact Church decal on the back of your vehicle? <laughs> That it matters. 
just just to tell and sometimes some I'm just going to be real with you for a moment. I had a moment about 2 weeks ago and we had the Impact Church, you know, decal on our back windshield of both of our vehicles and we're driving to the gym, okay? And you get in the turn lane and there's not really much of a turn lane where we go to the gym. And so we're kind of in the turn lane but waiting for this car to go or whatever and the person behind us and if you're here and you saw us driving this vehicle, I'm sorry, but I'm telling your story. All right. But they're behind us, and you know how we all just get impatient sometimes? And we like that thing. There's a thing in the middle of your steering wheel. It's called a horn. And sometimes we like the horn a little bit too much. And sometimes when you like the horn a little bit too much, you, I don't like you all that much. <laughs> we'll just put it that way. So they, they, have, they are trying to get around us, and they can't wait three seconds for us to turn and so they're laying on their horn as they're going around or whatever, and I'm just going to be real with you. I laid on my horn right back at them. I don't know if they heard it. <laughs> I don't know if they heard me honk my horn, but I felt better after I did it <laughs> for a moment until my wife looked at me and said, now, was that really necessary? <laughs> and then I thought about the Impact Church sticker on the back of the van. I was like, well, they probably won't be at church on Sunday. I don't know. <laughs> the response matters. The response matters. Today, as we continue this series, I want to take you to a passage of Scripture in James. This is James chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 12. It says, Great blessings belong to those who are tempted and remain faithful. After they have proved their faith, God will give them the reward of eternal life. God promised this to all people who love him. Whenever you feel tempted to do something bad, you should not say, God is tempting me. Evil cannot tempt God, and God himself does not tempt anyone. You are tempted by the evil things you want. Your own desire leads you away and traps you. Your desire grows inside you until it results in sin. Then the sin grows bigger and bigger and finally ends in death. My dear brothers and sisters, don't be fooled about this. Everything good comes from God. Every perfect gift is from Him. These good gifts come down from the Father who made all the lights in the sky, but God never changes like the shadows from those lights. He is always the same. Now we're reading about this this series is all about just different temptations and and how the enemy disguises things in our lives. And we're trying to learn how to see through those filters and expose those filters. And today we're talking about the response to those things. And we're reading here in James and he's talking about temptation. Now has anybody ever been tempted? Can I see your hand? Or is it just me? You've been tempted to do something that you knew was not right, or you didn't feel all that good about it, but you went ahead and did it anyway, maybe, I don't know. But James is telling us here that there are basically three stages to temptation, and I want to give you these on the screen so you can write these down, and you can remember them. There's desire, there's sin, and there's death. There's desire, there's sin, and there's death. There's a desire to sin, then there's actually giving in and sinning, and then there's the consequence that follows the sin. So it starts with a desire to do something. Then there's the giving into it. And then there's the consequence that comes after you gave into it. And I think of two instances in the Bible that we can talk about for just a moment that come to my mind when, when we see this play out. And that's the two instances I want to talk about are with Eve and with David. With Eve and with David. So let's think about Eve in the book of Genesis, the very beginning of the Bible. 
what do we see with the temptation? The, the devil slithers up like he always does. The enemy comes in. And what do we see? We see the desire for the fruit on this tree that they're not supposed to have. The only thing that God said, just don't do this. Just choose me over this. We see the desire for the wisdom and, and the, the temptation that the enemy brought, that you'll be like God, and you'll know things like God, and you'll have all this wisdom, and you want this. And so we see the desire that, that she wanted it. Then we see her give in to it and actually eat the fruit. And then we see the consequence of what happened after. That, you know, all of this stuff happened with childbirth and and working, and they couldn't be in the garden anymore, and, and all of this. And, and we see the desire, the sin, and the consequence. Now think about David. In particular, when David was supposed to be at war, like a king, was supposed to be at war, and he sees this beautiful woman taking a bath, and he has a desire for her, this married woman, then there's the sin that he actually sleeps with her, gets her, gets these people to bring her over, and then there's the consequence that comes after the sin. Desire, sin, consequence. And you can read all kinds of stories in the Bible. These two are just two that I picked out to talk about today. But you can read all kinds of stories in the Bible where you see there was the desire for something that wasn't necessarily, it may not even be bad, but it's not what God had. There's a desire for something that may just be flat out wrong. And then there's the choice of whether I'm going to sin and experience the consequence. Desire, sin, and consequence. And think about your own life for a moment. Think about a moment when you gave in to a temptation in your life. There was a desire for something that you might or might not have known was wrong or you were, it was questionable or whatever. If you gave in to it, there was the sin and then my guess would be there was some kind of consequence that came after that. You desired something, you did it, and then there was a consequence that came after it. It plays itself out over and over again. Now I want us to understand this morning out of those three stages, we're all, every single one of us are tempted probably every single day. I don't know if any of us go a single day without being tempted to do something because the enemy is always just yakking in our ear about, well, don't you want this? And doesn't that make you mad that they got that and you didn't get that? And aren't you jealous? And wouldn't you like to be better? And wouldn't you like another job? And isn't this terrible? And well, your marriage is awful right now? There's all this junk going on in our minds. So we, we're constantly having this desire to sin, this temptation that's coming into our minds to sin. But can I tell you today that step one, the desire is not a sin, that the enemy is always going to bring you things and tempt you to do wrong. But it's not the thought that comes to your mind that he brings to your mind is not the sin. It's the response that matters. It's the response. It's not the temptation. It's how you respond to the temptation that matters. It's not a sin to be tempted to look at a woman lustfully. It's how you respond to the thought that matters. It's not a sin to be tempted on something at work or tempted to cheat on something at work. It's how you respond that matters. It's not a sin to be tempted to lie about something, but it's your response that matters. It's how you respond to the temptation when it comes your way that makes all the difference. I want you to 
to get this this morning. We just read this in uh, the passage of Scripture, but I want to read it again, just these a uh, couple of snippets, and, and I didn't tell you this, so hopefully you can find it back there and put it up on the screen. But And I want you to, for the next few moments, will you just lean in and will you give me your attention? I, I don't know if you're thinking about what's for lunch right now or or what we got going on or how nice the weather is, and I wish I was outside because it's 70 degrees in August. But can you just lean in and, and give me your attention for a few moments? Because I want to I wanna help you with something to better understand this whole process. The scripture that we just read, it says, you are tempted by the evil things that you want. Your own desire leads you away and traps you. Now, I think we have a picture. Do we have that picture of the piano? This this is a pretty nice piano that I found online. I don't own this piano. Maybe some of you own a piano like this, but we're talking about for just a moment an old school, not a keyboard not something that plugs in. We're talking about an old school piano. And I don't know if I don't know if you knew this or not, but I found this interesting as I was studying for what I was talking about today that if you open the back end of that piano and you lean in to that piano and you hum or you begin to sing, whatever note you sing, that string will begin to vibrate underneath the piano. So if you sing, if you start singing in the key of C, the string that is attached to when you push the button and this thing comes up and it hits that string and it vibrates and it makes the sound that you hear on a piano, when you sing into it, you sing in the key of C, the C string will start to vibrate. If it's F, the F string will start to vibrate. Whatever note you hit with your voice, it'll start to vibrate when you, when you lean in to this piano. And here's what the devil does. He likes to attack you and me in a community or a city or just whatever you want to fill in the blank, he wants to attack you at your weaknesses. He wants to, if he knows that you don't struggle with this thing, why would he try to get you with that thing? Because we all have our thing. We all have something that that we struggle with, and the enemy knows it, and he wants to attack a community, he wants to attack an individual, he wants to attack a family right there where they're weakest. I've seen them I've seen them fight about this before, so let's just let's just poke it a little bit and see what happens. Let's attack right there and see what happens. This is this has been a struggle from their past, and so let's go there and let's see what happens. See if we can get them back into that stuff. The devil will find your weaknesses and he'll attack you in those areas. So if you struggle with your eyes, he'll give you something to look at. You'll be at you'll be at the lake. I was going to say the beach, but there's no beach around here, so I don't know if you've ever been to the beach. But you'll be at the lake, and somebody will walk by, and you'll be like, "Mm." if you struggle with your eyes, he'll give you something to look at. He'll help you notice the things that you don't need to be looking at because he knows that's your weakness. If you struggle with your mouth, he'll give you something to talk about. You'll be hanging out with the same friends, and you'll be having your little, you know, get-together And somebody will bring up some gossip about somebody else, and he'll give you that opportunity to start sharing your opinion and start talking about somebody behind their back or start talking negative about somebody. Come on, you've been there. I'm not not telling you anything you don't already know. He'll give you the opportunity to do it because he knows it's a weakness. So let's get them around. Yeah, they're going to get together tonight, so let's get so-and-so to bring this up. And then they'll fall right back into that trap, and they'll start gossiping. They'll start talking bad about people. They'll start using their mouth 
in ways that they shouldn't be using their mouth. If you struggle with anger, he'll give you something to be angry about. You'll start noticing everything. I mentioned this a few weeks ago with marriages. It's like you'll start noticing that that they squeeze the toothpaste weird, and you'll start noticing that I don't like what you watch on TV, and I thought it was cute when we were dating, but now it's stupid. And I don't like what you watch, and we need to find... We need to find something better to watch. Can we watch football or can we watch something else? I don't like this. You'll start noticing. You'll start noticing. like, I didn't realize you smacked when you ate. But now I do. And if you struggle with those things, the enemy will just kind of just kind of pry it. I talked to a pastor one time, a guy that we met with, and he was talking about his wife. He said his wife had the gift of leaving all the cabinet doors open. I don't know if that's a gift or what. But he said he would get so aggravated, and he would go back, and he would shut the doors, and shut the doors, and shut the doors. And finally, he came to the realization that this was just something that the enemy was trying to use to break their marriage up and get them fighting with each other and get them off their game and all this stuff. And when they finally realized it, they stopped noticing it, or they were intentional. When they saw it, they said, we're going to call this out and call it what it is and move on. But if you struggle in a certain area, the enemy will give you the opportunity to do that thing. He'll provide opportunity for you to get mad, for you to look at somebody the wrong way, for you to use your mouth to to speak negatively. I like this. You can write this down. I believe we have it on the screen. It says, the devil can't make a good person bad. He makes a flawed person worse. The devil can't make you a good person bad, but he'll make a flawed person worse. And how many of you have flaws? We think... We think, well, I'm a good, I'm a good person. Mm, you've got your flaw somewhere, and he'll try to make that flaw worse. And he'll try to bring that thing up in your life so that that thing is all you see, and that thing is all you do, and it's all you think about because he wants to make your flaws stand out. He wants to hit you where he can get you. And just like when you sing into that piano, the corresponding string will vibrate, the devil will play on what's already in you. Those strings and notes and wood and all that stuff is already in that piano. And all you're doing when you stick your face in there is you're just playing off of whatever's already in there. And the enemy will do the same with you and with me. He will play off of what is already in you. It's already a struggle, so he's going to go there. It's already a temptation, so he's going to go there. Whatever's in you is what he's going to play off of. And the Bible says that it's our own desires that lead us to sin. It's our own desires that end up trapping us. And all the devil does is play off of your desire. If if, if you struggle with loving money or struggle with greed, he knows. And he'll play off of that in your life because it's what's in you. If you struggle with drinking, the devil will play off of that. If you struggle with an addiction, the devil will play off of that because it's what's already in you. And he knows this is where I can get them. It's a weakness. So for the next few moments, I want to talk to you about how we can change our response. How we can learn to respond differently to temptation. And I'm going to give you three things that I believe we need to take with us today, myself included, so that we can begin to respond differently because the temptation is going to come. But it's the response that matters. It's how you respond that matters. 
And these all start with, I'm trying to help you out the best that I can today. These all start with the letter R, just like the word response. And so hopefully we can all remember these or write these down. And you'll think, wow, they all started with R. What were they again? I do that all the time. But here's the first one. Recognize what's in you. We have to first recognize the areas and the places in our lives that we naturally struggle with. You have to be aware of where you've come from and what you've struggled with and and things that may be in your family history and recognize that this is something that might be in me already. This might be something that I naturally struggle with and when something happens, I naturally go to this. You've got to recognize what's in you. What are those things that you tend to give into? What are those things that you have, your family has a history of drinking problems or you've struggled with an addiction in the past or you always want to make everybody happy? Figuring out what, the, what that thing is that is already in you that the enemy can come and say, that's a weakness, but you've already recognized that it's a weakness. And when you recognize that it's a weakness, you can be on guard against that weakness. And when the enemy comes against you or brings temptation, I already know that's a weakness and I'm already prepared. I'm not going there. But you, it starts, you've got to know what's in you. You've got to recognize what's in you. You need to take a self-evaluation and recognize what your tendencies are in your life. So when the devil plan, plants a thought in your mind, you can recognize that this is an area of weakness for you and make the decision not to give in. Here's number two. You've got to recognize what's in you. Number two is you've got to replace the thought. Replace the thought. The Bible says this in Romans 12 too. Many of us might be familiar with this. It says, don't change yourselves to be like the people of this world, but let God change you inside with a new way of thinking. Then you will be able to understand and accept what God wants for you. You will be able to know what is good and pleasing to him and what is perfect. Some of us just need to allow God to help us think differently about our struggle. Some of us just need to, we need to recognize that this is a struggle. This is something that's in me, something I've dealt with before. And I'm going to allow God to change the way that I think about it. Because the enemy has convinced some of us that we're just wired that way or that it's just always going to be a struggle for the rest of your life. This is just always going to be here. You're never going to get past it. It's just how you're wired. Well, he's just a man. Well, she's just a woman. That's the enemy convincing us that what we're doing is okay because we're just wired that way. We were just created that way. We naturally have that tendency. And we've got to learn to replace the thought. We feel guilty and we feel condemned, but those feelings are not from God. That Those feelings are not from God. God. I believe that God can give you a new way of thinking and he can transform your mind. I love what Paul, this guy who wrote a lot of the New Testament in your Bible, this is what he wrote in 2 Corinthians in a letter. He says, the weapons we use are not human ones. Our weapons have power from God and can destroy the enemy's strong places. Can I get an amen right there? That the weapons that you have to use are from God, and they have the power to destroy the enemy. And where he thinks he has a stronghold in your life because this is something that you struggle with, you have a weapon and a tool 
that is not like a human weapon or a human tool that has the power to destroy that in your life if you want to use it. But are you using it? It's at your disposal, but are you using the weapon that you have? says, we destroy people's arguments and we tear down every proud idea that raises itself against the knowledge of God. And check this out. We also capture every thought and make it give up and obey Christ. You need to start capturing your thoughts. Because sometimes we just, we don't get intentional enough about the things that we think about. And when we're not intentional about what we're thinking about, we fall into what we're thinking about because we just, we just do that. When we're lazy, we fall into it. And this is an area of your life, if I can just tell you today, that you cannot be lazy. You can't be lazy because thoughts are coming in all the time. And we've got to learn how to capture the thought and replace it. We've got to make it obey Jesus. So when that evil thought comes into your mind, <laughs> nope. When that, that lustful thought comes into your mind, that prideful thought comes into your mind, that thought comes into your mind again, you just, you just say, no, you have to obey Christ. You don't have a choice but to obey Christ. And I'm getting rid of that thought, and I'm going to think about something that God has done for me. I'm going to think about God's faithfulness. I'm going to think about the fact that if I do that, there's a consequence coming later, and so I don't want the consequence. I'm not doing that. I'm going to replace the thought with something that I've read in the Bible. This is why it's so important for you to read your Bible. We've said this before here. If you, don't, you can't claim what God says about you if you don't know what God says about you. And so when a thought comes in and you need to replace it with something from the Word of God, if you don't know the Word of God, how can you replace it with something from the Word of God? And I'm not trying to get on you. But I'm just saying it's, it's important. It's important to know a verse or something that you can use in those moments. You've got to replace the thought. We have the power and authority through Jesus to make every thought obey what Jesus says, and we need to use it. We've got to be intentional. And here's the third thing. I want the worship team to come back up. Here's number three. You've got to recognize what's in you, replace the thought, and thirdly, you've got to resist the devil. Now, I had another name for this, but it didn't start with R. So I went this direction. Because some translations of this verse we're about to read say, resist the devil, resist the enemy. But here's what it says in James 4, 7. So give yourselves to God, stand against the devil, and he will run away from you. Some translations say, resist the devil, and he will run away from you. Resist him. Don't hang out around him. Don't dabble in it a little bit and think that you're going to be strong enough on the other side to make it out. But take a stand against the enemy. And he and, and the Bible, I love the Bible because the Bible says that the devil's a wimp. It doesn't even say you have to hit him. <laughs> it just says resist the enemy and he will run away from you. So when he shows up and starts trying to get you to do something or think some way or give in to a temptation again, you just resist it and take a stand. What do you do? You've always heard this with bullies, and hopefully none of us in this room were bullies when we were in school. But you've always heard this. If you stand up to a bully, a lot of times they'll back down and they'll leave you alone. 
because they don't like somebody. They don't want to mess with somebody that's going to give them crap back, for lack of a better term. And so when you resist, when you take a stand and you resist the devil, the Bible says that he runs the opposite direction. <laughs> well, I don't want to fight because <laughs> you have Jesus on your side. And he knows what the Bible says, just as good as we know what the Bible says, that if God is for us, who can be against us? And when we take a stand and say, no, I don't think I'm going to do that, and stand up and put our foot down and say, I'm replacing that thought, I already know what's in me, and I'm resisting the devil, I'm resisting the temptation, I'm resisting the enemy, he takes off running in the opposite direction because he does not like when you stand up to him. Do we have anybody in here that just is ready to just stand up to the enemy and say, you know what, I've got God on my side and the Holy Spirit living inside of me and greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world and all I got to do is just stand up. And if I just stand up and resist the enemy, <laughs> I don't think, think y'all getting it yet. If I just stand up, the devil, the devil's coming at me, and he's trying to plant a thought in my mind and trying to get me to go the opposite direction or fall back into that temptation again. If I just stand up and say, no, I'm not going that way again. I'm putting my foot down, and you can just hit the road. And the Bible says when you take a stand, he takes off running. He takes off running. Now, it doesn't mean he's not coming back. He's pretty persistent. But when he comes back, you've already got the weapon that you need. When he shows back up again, really? We're, we're going here again? All, I, all I've got to do is take a stand, and you're going to run the opposite direction, so why don't you just go ahead and get going? Why don't you just go ahead... You're knocking on the door again. <laughs> Why don't you just go ahead and get gone in Jesus' name? God, I thank you right now for your word. I thank you that all we have to do is take a stand. And, Lord, I thank you that today we're recognizing what's in us already. We're replacing the thoughts of the enemy. And we're resisting the enemy right now. And from this moment forward... We're going to take a stand, and we're going to straighten our back and put our chin up and tell the enemy, not today. You cannot have, you, you cannot have your way again. I'm not going back there. You can't have my family again. You can't have my life again. You can't have my mind again. You can't have my kids again. You can't have my job again. You can't have my anger again. You can't have my emotions. You get nothing. In Jesus' name, I want to invite our prayer team to come down today. We're going to give you the opportunity, if you need prayer for anything in your life, we do not care what it is. You don't have to be a member of this church. You don't have to, this could be your first time here and you have something going on and you need prayer about anything. We want the opportunity to pray with you. We want to be able to pray with you. So we're going to sing one more song. And as we begin to sing this last worship song, we invite you, if you need prayer for anything in your life, anything in your life, don't be, don't be embarrassed, don't be ashamed. Sometimes, sometimes I just need to go to somebody and let them pray for me 
because I don't know what to pray. And I don't know how to see beyond what I see right here in front of me. And I need somebody else to believe with me and agree with me and speak encouragement and speak life over me so that I can make it through another day. So don't, don't not come for prayer. Don't not come for prayer. We want, you to, we want you to be prayed for. God, I thank you and I pray that you would draw every person who needs prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen.